But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are holy. Oh, sorry, you are that temple. This is the word of God. Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. And we pray that that may be true for us this morning. Lord, we all, in one way or the other, have stepped into the shadows, even this past week, and into the darkness. And so we do pray that your spirit may take your word and bring light into our lives. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen. Now, we are right in the middle of a series in 1 Corinthians. If you missed any of the other talks, you may want to pick them up on the website this morning. Of course, we're looking at chapter 3, and next week you may want to look at chapter 4, and uh, God willing, we'll be looking at chapter 4 next week. Remember that the author here is the Apostle Paul, and uh, he's writing to a church in Corinth. Corinth was in Greece. It's still in Greece. And uh, Paul planted that church around about 50 AD. You can pick that up in Acts chapter 16. He then left the church and planted other churches. And then he wrote to this church in 55 AD, this letter. In fact, he wrote two letters, one and two Corinthians. You remember the context up to this point in time is that one of the major problems in the church was uh, divisions in the church. Uh, there were slogans in the church, verse 4. Notice there, hashtag I follow Paul, hashtag I follow Apollos. And so Paul is addressing that issue in chapter 3, but from a slightly different angle, because what he's doing here is Paul is, is talking about how to build a healthy church. And uh, what do you need to build a healthy church? And uh, how you ought not to build an unhealthy church. And what are the consequences of building an unhealthy church? So he's really talking about the church of Jesus Christ. He's talking about a body of believers like ourselves. 
So here's something we can have a look at as, as to whether this is true of us, whether we are a healthy church, uh, whether you are a healthy Christian. So we're going to be working through this chapter. I'm going to give you three headings. Every good sermon has three points. Uh, let me give them to you. Verse 1 to 4, there's an estimate, estimate of themselves. Verse 5 to 9, estimate of their leaders in the church. And then verse 10 to 17, an estimate of false leaders. And then there's an epilogue, if we have time, from verse 18 to the end. Now, let me just go down one side road, and you may say to me, Martin, I'm new here this morning. It's first time here at Christchurch Midrand, and, and if you are new, welcome. It really is lovely to have you with us. Or you may say to me, I'm new to the Christian faith, or you may say to me, I'm struggling at the moment. In fact, this has been a terrible week. It's been a horrible week. And I really came to church to hear a word from the Lord uh, to me, to help me, to encourage me. And now you're talking about how to build a, build, how to build a healthy church. Uh, surely that's your job. Um, surely, surely you can give me something a little bit more helpful. Let me answer that by saying that many years ago, Bill Hybels had the slogan, and it was a good slogan, that the church is the hope of the world. Now, strictly speaking, Christ is the hope of the world. But he was quite right, because where do you hear about Christ? Where do you hear the gospel? You're not going to hear it from political parties, are you? You're not going to hear it from uh, corporates. You're not going to hear it on 702 or Netflix or BBC. Where are you going to hear the gospel? Where are you going to hear about Christ? It is in the church. It's in the universal church of God, of Jesus Christ, throughout the world, where you will hear the gospel. You won't hear it anywhere else. And as you well know, there are many false churches, and there are many false gospels. So it's actually critically important that you are in the right church, a biblical church, that teaches the gospel. Now, we're not talking here about our denomination or about REACH or about Christchurch or anything of that nature. We are talking about going to a biblical church that teaches a biblical gospel. And why it's so critical is that if you don't hear the gospel, it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you are saved. So if you go into a church that doesn't teach the proper gospel, you will not hear about salvation. We're now talking about judgment. We're talking about eternity. We're talking about heaven and hell. So it matters where you go to church. It matters that you go to a healthy church. It doesn't matter what the name or the title of the church is. That is not the important thing. The important thing is that it's a healthy church. And Paul outlines here what is a healthy church and what is an unhealthy church. So you may be new to our church. You may be new to the Christian faith. You may be struggling with certain issues. But actually, these are critical issues. We are talking here about death, your death, my death. We are talking here about eternity. We are talking about how to be right with God. And if you're not right with God, what are you going to say to him when you face him on Judgment Day? Tian, who is running Christianity Explored, who's been part of our church forever, uh, he said to me the other day, he said, everyone says you must find a church close to your home. He said, that's not true. You must find a church that's close to the Bible. Isn't that right? You can find a church close to your home, but that church may not be close to the Bible. That's the key. All right, let's dig in straight away. Principle number one, estimate of ourselves. Verse one to four. 
But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? Now, this letter would have been read to the Corinthian church. And the first time it was read, verse 1, would have been a huge shock to the church. Because Paul is saying, I couldn't address you as being spiritual. In fact, you are like people of the flesh. You are babies in the faith. Because the Corinthians thought that they were very spiritual. They thought they were super spiritual. Because of all the gifts that they had, they thought that they were superior to many other Christians, most other Christians. You know, they would kind of think, we are the Cambridge, Oxford, Princeton Christians of the day. And Paul says, no, I don't think you've got that right at all. You're still in kindergarten. You're still in preschool. You're in grade triple naught, double naught. In fact, he says, verse 1, I couldn't address you as mature Christians. You were like babies, infants. In fact, I had to address you as if you weren't even Christians. Have a look at verse 1 to 4. Paul gives us two of the marks of a spiritual baby. Two marks of a spiritual baby. There are other marks, but in this passage, Paul gives us two marks. What are the signs of a baby Christian? Are they true of you? So let's examine them. The first sign of a baby Christian is that they can only drink milk and not solid food. Verse 2. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. So Paul is saying, uh, you think you're so super spiritual, you think you're so mature, you've been, you've been Christian for five years, but you're actually still babies. I couldn't give you steak, because you choke on it. I couldn't give you meat and potatoes. I could only give you milk or ice cream. I remember of a a family, uh, um, number of kids, and uh, the mother uh, had a wonderful gift of, of cooking and loved cooking and just the most wonderful food. And whenever you visited them, it was the most delicious, wonderful homemade cooking. And they had this bunch of children around the table, and there was one of the kids eating fish fingers. And the kid ate fish fingers every day. I mean, you've, I mean some of our kids do that, don't they? Paul is saying, goodness me, I've got this whole feast and all you want is fish fingers. Imagine if I had a party for teenagers and children. And um, they've all gone, of course. They're off to their classes. But uh, we had two tables for the kids and teenagers. And the one table we had, we had, um, we had oxtail and lamb shank and roasted vegetables, roasted potatoes. The other table, we had ice cream, um, chocolate fountain, sweets. Where do you think the kids would go? Well, of course we know where, where the kids would go. And Paul says, well, that's exactly how you are. I can't give you proper food. You're still children. Now, what would that mean for us today in the larger Christian church? Well, I think in terms of our music... We would, if we were spiritual infants, we would sing Christian nursery rhymes. No content. John MacArthur talks about choruses as being seven eleven choruses. Seven words, you sing them eleven times. 
Haven't you heard those choruses? There's nothing there. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Repeat 24 times. I mean, that's a Christian nursery rhyme, isn't it? Surely there's depth. Just what we've sung now. There's no rival. There's no equal to Christ. There's substance to what we sing. Your Bible diet, what would your Bible diet be if you are an infant Christian, a baby Christian? Well, I think you may, you may, well, have a, may, may well have some kind of Bible app that gives you a verse for the day. Well, my dear friend, you're not going to do it. You're not going to make it on a verse for the day. Or perhaps an app that gives you a thought for the day. And then perhaps you listen to, to a gospel song every two or three days. And you think that's enough. My dear friend, that's milk. You're not going to make it. You're going to get into your ICU. You need some meat. You need some substance. Some churches you go to, it's not even milk. It's sparkling water. <laughs> it sparkles. And then it's gone. And you're not going to make it on sparkling water, guys. You're going to die. May take six, seven, eight weeks, but you're going to die. You've got to have some meat and potatoes. You've got to have some real food. You've got to have a steady diet of God's word, meeting with God's people. So in some churches, there's a, there's a kind of unwritten rule. Don't use complicated words. Uh, um, don't, uh, don't use uh, complicated concepts. Uh, keep it simple. Keep it short. Well, perhaps that's what you say. Um, I read a little article which said that, that sermons should be like Christian TED Talks. I think a TED Talk is seven minutes, isn't it? Just stories and one main point. Well, my dear friend, that's milk. That's ice cream. That's a milkshake. You're not going to get through the day. You're not going to get through the week if you're only drinking milkshakes. I think the second sign, you notice verse 3 and 4, of a baby Christian, for you are still of the flesh, for while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So the Corinthians were Christians. They certainly were Christians. You pick that up in chapter 1, verse 1 to 10, 1 to 9. They were Christians. They were believers. Chapter 3, verse 1, he's talking to his brothers and sisters. But they weren't behaving like Christians. You know, like it with our kids sometimes. They are your kids. They are your flesh and blood. But sometimes they act like animals, don't they? You can't believe it. They are your flesh and blood, but they're not acting like your children. Well, that's what Paul is saying here. You are Christians, but you're not acting like Christians. No, there's worldly jealousy. There's rivalry in the church. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. So it's not just the words Paul, Apollos. It's also I. It's about me. I want to be fed. So Apollos is their favorite minister. They won't go to church unless Apollos is preaching because he has all these wonderful stories. Sometimes we call those preachers skyscraper preachers. Story after story after story. Many years ago, Helen got a phone call and someone phoned and said, it was Friday, they phoned, they said, is Martin preaching on Sunday? Now, my dear friend, that really is nonsense, isn't it? We come to meet with Christ and his word. We come to meet with Christ and his people. So there's this jealousy, this rivalry, these groups. It's, it's like teenagers. 
So teenagers, young teenagers, you in the in-group, aren't you? Because uh, you're one of the in-group. You, you, you wear the right shoes, you've got the right hairstyle, and then the next day you're not in the in-group and you hate it. Uh, don't you have that with children? Well, Paul says you're acting like children, for goodness sake. It's not Apollos or Paul, it's Christ. We belong to Christ. Our connection to God is through Christ. I think sometimes pastors and ministers actually propagate this kind of thinking. So you have pastors, ministers, who propagate themselves as the man of God, the guru. You must buy his books. You must listen to all his sermons. You must download all his series. You must wear his T-shirt. Paul says, you know, that is so childish. Your primary connection to God is through Christ and him crucified. Now, there may be someone here this morning who says, Martin, you've been quite in your face, but uh, I think I'm a baby. What should I do? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. I think what is absolutely critical is that you need to sit under the teaching of God's word. Whether it's this church or some other church, that's not the issue, but you need to sit under the authority of God and his word week by week. That is absolutely critical. So if you are once a month church person or once a quarter church person, let me tell you, you're not going to make it. We're going to have an infant mortality. You're going to make it on that. It's just not enough. You'll die. Or perhaps you say to me, Martin, we've got a, we've got a, we've got a holiday home at uh, Hartees. We go there every weekend, and so we come to church every two months. Or perhaps you've got family up in Popa, Venda. We have to go up every weekend. Well, I would say to you one of two things. Either find a good Bible-teaching church in Limpopo or Hartis so that you hear the Word of God there, or change your lifestyle. But if you don't get a proper diet, I mean, it's like your physical body, that if you don't get proper food, you're not going to make it. So some, some people have an iron deficiency, right? And uh, so what do you need to do? You need to take special medication because you have an iron deficiency. Well, if you're not getting the word in huge chunks of teaching, you're going to have a spiritual deficiency. You're going to die. It's how it is. It's kind of basic. If you don't eat food, you're going to die. If you don't eat spiritual food, you're going to die. You need to join a small group. So our mid, uh, midweek groups um, uh, meet. We've got uh, 30, 40 groups around Gauteng meeting around God's Word. That's what we do. We pray, we eat, we, pray, uh, we, we spend time with each other. But the main focus, like on Sunday mornings, is God's Word. What does God say to us? How do we apply it to our lives? And there's discussing and sharing. I think it means reading the Bible. One verse a day is not going to do it, guys. It's not. Sermonettes create Christianettes. It's just how it is. If you take one verse, of Bible, one verse of the Bible per day, I know people send verses, and that's wonderful, and, 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 and thank you, but you're not actually going to grow on that. Perhaps you should get a one-year Bible. There's a Bible called the One Year Bible. You can download it. It's free of charge. You can buy it at, at uh, Christian bookshops or exclusive bookshops. And the great thing about the One Year Bible is, is it kind of gives you a balanced diet. So 
January 1, you read Genesis 1, Psalm 1, Matthew 1. January 2, Genesis 2, Psalm 2, Matthew 2. Uh, January 3, Genesis 3, and so on. It takes you through the Bible. And in 15 minutes per day, imagine that. Who doesn't have 15 minutes a day? You spend that time on social media, perhaps two hours a day. Cut some of it out. You could read through the Bible in 15, 20 minutes a day in one year. There is food. Christian books. Do you read Christian books? Perhaps you should have a target. Next year, I'm going to read every, every four months, I'll read a Christian book. Every three, four weeks, we have CBD bookshop here with, with great Christian books. Get one. Read one. All right, principle number two. Estimate of their leaders, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. So what Paul does here, it's quite clever because he nails this kind of Euro worship, which is so unhealthy in a church. He nails this, this rivalry, this, this ungodly jealousy, this man of God thinking. And he does it by criticizing himself and his best friend, Apollos. That's what he does. What is Paul? What is Apollos? He doesn't even say who. He says what? What is Paul? What is Apollos compared to God? They're nothing. I mean, that's true, isn't it? Compared to God, they're nothing. Notice the key phrase in these four verses. It actually comes up seven times. The key phrase, it comes up seven times in these four, four verses. Have a look again, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul's servant through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each? Six, I planted Apollos waters, but God gave the growth. See, there's the phrase. It's God who gives. God gave the growth. Verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Verse 8, he who plants, he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages from who? From God. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. We are God's field, God's building. Notice that. It really does put them in their place, doesn't it? Puts the apostles in their place. Apostles belong to God. The only thing about Paul and apostle is what God gave them. It puts this famous Corinthian church, perhaps it was a mega church, in its place. The only thing about this church is it's God's church, God's field, God's building. Now, now Paul is not saying that he and Apollos and those who lead in God's church are insignificant or, or, or are unimportant. He's not saying that. Notice verse 5. No, they are the ones through whom you believed. And elsewhere we are told to respect and honor those who lead us in the church. But he's making a point here. Because of this Euro worship, this ungodly jealousy rivalry, which is in Corinth and in many present-day churches today, isn't it? Paul makes it quite clear. Paul and Paulus are nothing compared to God. Verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. You know, when I travel in Africa, and uh, I, I go as a bishop, people know I'm a bishop. Most of you don't even know I'm a bishop. 
which doesn't matter at all. But it's a real problem in Africa, I can tell you that. Because when you go into Africa and uh, people know that you're a bishop, uh, they will always carry your suitcase, carry your briefcase. They will even try and carry your Bible. I hang on to my Bible. Um, when there's a meal, there's a special table for the bishop. I mean, it's absurd. So I, I refuse that, of course. And then in the early days, so it doesn't happen anymore because they know I get rude, is you get into the car and someone comes to take your seatbelt and put it over your shoulder. <laughs> I joke not, my friends. It is appalling. It is absolutely appalling. You find in some churches in Africa, there's a high table. You sometimes see it on TV, where the important people are sitting here on table, on couches, on tables. There's special glasses, special water, special fruit drinks, special grapes or whatever. And these are the special people. I mean, where do you get that? Paul makes it quite clear here, verse 5. We are servants, he says. That's all we are. No status. we servants. We serve. You know, it's like when, you, when you're watching soccer. So you watch Ronaldo kick the most brilliant goal. You don't say to yourself, what a wonderful soccer ball. <laughs> I mean, you don't, do you? You don't say, what a wonderful soccer ball. No, no, no. It's Ronaldo who kicked it. Perhaps you've just had surgery and you had a wonderful surgeon. You don't say to yourself, what a wonderful knife. <laughs> no, I mean, the, he needs to have the right knife. It needs to be available. It needs to be sharp. But it's not the knife. It's the surgeon. That's the point here. It's not the servants that are mattering, that are important. No, it's God. Verse 6, Paul planted the church. He was the church planter. He was the evangelist. Apollos watered. He pastored. He mentored. He discipled the church. But God gave the growth, of course. My dear friends, I cannot change anybody's heart. I can't even change my own heart. Only God can do that. Turn again just quickly to Matthew 23. We're going to go a little bit over time this morning. You'll bear with me because of the special graduation. Of course, you have no choice. Matthew 23, verse 8. Let's quickly have a look at that. We looked at this two, three weeks ago. Jesus makes the same point. So it's the same point because it's so prevalent in human nature, both then and now. Matthew 23, verse 8. But you are not to be called rabbi. You have one teacher and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. Now, we are to see the words Father as capital F. Of course, we use that terminology. But what he wants to make quite clear is that there are no human beings that have the same authority that God has. Actually, what you have here is the Trinity, because rabbi means teacher. And John tells us in his gospel that the Holy Spirit is our teacher. Verse 9, God is our Father, with a capital F. Verse 10, Christ the Son is our Lord, our instructor. So what is my duty? What is my job? My job is not to point attention to myself. No, my job is to point attention to the Trinity, to God the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So you sometimes hear ministers talking about my church, my people, my flock. Well, my dear friends, that is totally incorrect. Or people talk about Tim Keller's church or Ray McCauley's church or Martin's church. My dear friends, that is, that is total nonsense. 
Now, I'm not going to make an issue of it, but it's not true. It's God's church. It's God's field. It's God's building. You as a parent, by the way, you are to teach your children not just to follow you and obey you. Ultimately, you are teaching them to follow and obey Christ. You are just a conduit. And by the way, you just have them on loan for 18, 19 years, and then they go. And if they don't fly, you've failed. And our duty is not to point them to ourselves. We are not the ultimate security and safety. No, we're not. We are to point them to Christ, to God. That's our job. And just by the way, you don't, children don't become Christians through good parenting. Children become Christians through grace, like anybody else. And we are to point them to the one, the only one, who can give them grace. Just one last comment before we look at the last point. Have a look at verse 5. Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So it's God who has ultimately assigned you and me to a calling in life. That calling may be to be married. That calling may be to be single. That calling may be in business. It may be in education. It may be in IT. It may be like a preacher or pastor like me. The issue is not the gifts or the giftedness. The issue is the faithfulness to our calling. So if God has called you to be a housewife, then that is the most gifted, privileged position you can have. And your calling is no less important than mine. God has assigned a calling to our lives, and we are to be faithful to that calling. It may change. You may be single now, but next year you may be married doesn't mean it doesn't change, but we are to be faithful to the calling God has placed upon us, wherever he's placed us. And what a privilege to be a housewife, to be a mother. What a privilege to be helping with teenagers and their growth. God has assigned to each. God, Paul plants, Apollos waters, but God gives the growth. Let's lastly have a look at estimate of false leaders. Verse 10. You still with me there? Yes? Amen? Amen. Good. Some of you wish that I would do seven-minute TED Talks. I'm sorry it's not going to happen. Verse 10. Back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. So Paul planted the church in 50 AD. He was the church planter. He laid the foundation. And now someone else has taken over rectorship of Corinth. And uh, he says to us, verse 10, someone else is building upon it. And then he says to the new pastor and the whole church, take care how you build upon the foundation. Now, it's not as if Paul is kind of a grumpy ex-pastor, ex-retired pastor. No, he says to everyone in Christian leadership, everyone who serves Christ in Christian ministry, actually, that's all of us, as we serve one another, as we serve our children, our families, take care how you build upon it. Now, notice there are three areas that we need to take care of. The first is verse 11, beware of a false foundation. So he says, verse 11, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. 
So you get the impression here that there are new leaders in the church and they want to build a new foundation. They're not happy with Paul's foundation. And Paul says, no, 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 you can't do that. You don't build a house by having a foundation, laying some bricks, and then laying another foundation. It doesn't work like that. That's absurd. Don't lay a new foundation. No, the foundation is Christ and him crucified. There's no other foundation. Don't now come with some new story, some new foundation. You can have new methods. You can have new tactics. You can have new programs. But there's no new foundation. The foundation is Christ. Chapter 1, verse 22. Remember that? Chapter 1, 22. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. That is our foundation. Now, my dear friends, there are so many churches in Africa that have built new foundations. They have drifted a long way away from Christ and him crucified as the foundation. They are teaching Christ the provider, Christ the miracle worker, Christ the Father Christmas. Christ who will solve all your health needs and financial needs and relational needs and, and personal psychological needs. Well, it's not as if God is unconcerned about those things, but your primary need is that you need to be right with God. Outside of Christ crucified, you are facing the wrath of God, the judgment of God. So the foundation, the place you start, is with Christ crucified. And that is also the place you end. We never graduate from the cross. Never. Secondly, notice he says, beware of rotten building material. Verse 12. Don't use bad building material. Verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day, that's the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So there is some hope there. You may be a bad builder. You may be using bad material. But if you are in Christ, you will be saved. But everything you have done will be burnt up. So be careful how you build. Now, what would bad building material look like? What was the bad building material here in Corinthians? Well, I think it has a great deal to do with their teaching. And that they, it was a great deal of wrong teaching. And as you read the letter, you get the impression that there was a great emphasis on Jesus as Savior, but not, not a great deal of emphasis as Jesus as Lord. So it's fine that you have Jesus. It's fine that you have the Holy Spirit. It doesn't really matter how you live. You have Jesus. You have the Spirit. You have gifts. But you can really live as you like. So if you look at 1 Corinthians and you read it, you find a you find an almost dysfunctional church. There are members in the church, sometimes key members, who are sexually immoral. They're living together, but they're not married. 
their members who are living in same-sex relationships. If you have a look at chapter 6, you'll see they, that the parties in Corinth are almost like non-Christian parties. They're awash with alcohol and sex and dirty jokes. And Paul says, I mean, that's extraordinary. Surely your faith must affect your behavior. But you see, they weren't taught that. The ones who were teaching them were using wrong material, wrong teaching. In fact, the root cause is that the leaders were too soft. There was no, there was no backbone in the church. There was no clear teaching on moral ethics and sexual ethics and behavior and how we live as Christians. It was all too loose, too carefree, too soft. You can have Jesus, you can have the Spirit and do as you like. And Paul says, well, that's absolute nonsense, because if you have the Holy Spirit, he certainly wouldn't lead you into unbiblical behavior. So the last couple of years, we've had some painful church discipline. It's always painful. You have no idea how painful it is. But if we don't have church discipline, especially with leaders, surely we're just hypocrites like everybody else. Surely we would expect Christian leaders to have certain behavior, and if they won't repent, well, then obviously there needs to be action taken. Well, that wasn't happening in Corinth. That's why Paul is writing this letter. So you need to know we're quite tight in this church. You may not know that. Do you know that we have a rule that there's no alcohol on this property? There's no alcohol at church functions, be they at this property or elsewhere. Now, we're not saying you must be a teetotaler. Of course we're not. We're not saying that you can't have, a, have some wine or some beer. No, we're not saying that. What we are saying is that when it is a church function, then it needs to be a safe place. Now, I'm being conservative, but I would reckon in a room of this size, probably one out of three in this room either have a problem with alcohol themselves or they have a family member who does. And you know the damage. So we as a church don't want to encourage that damage. So we have that rule. Why do we have that rule? Not because we're Pharisees or legalists. No, we're trying to create a safe place. Someone who's been off alcohol for three, four months, they go to a church function, they think they won't be under temptation, and then the, then the wine is flowing. Well, we haven't helped them, have we? That's why with communion, we have grape juice. Someone accused me and left the church and said, you have Oros for communion. <laughs> well... I mean, there's a reason we have grape juice, because there'll be some of you here this morning or listening on the website who are, who are dry alcoholics, and just one sip is going to set you back. And we don't want to be part of that. We want this to be a safe place if you are struggling or family members are struggling with alcohol. Be careful what building material you use. It worries me a little bit that many of our young people don't seem to see the dangers. I'm not, I'm not arguing for being a teetotaler. But it does concern me that sometimes some of our young people don't know how the abuse of alcohol, what damage it can cause. So we need to be careful. Be careful how you build. Lastly, will you notice, verse 16 and 17. 
Beware not to destroy the church. It's quite a frightening statement. Verse 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So it's an extraordinary concept. You can have a small group of people, 15 people, meeting in a lounge. There are no other Christians around or churches. They meet in a lounge. And God says, you are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit abides amongst you, plural, as a church. When he talks about don't destroy the temple, you may say that Jesus taught us that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That is true of the church universal. But local churches can die. They can die because there's bad leadership. They can die because people have left the foundation. They can die because of fanaticism or ignorance or pride. A local church can die. In fact, the Corinthian church is no longer there. There's no church in Corinth. But the universal church doesn't die. And by the way, you can't, outsiders can't destroy the church. It won't be Muslims or communists or the new left that will destroy the church. They will try, but actually the church always grows when it's being persecuted. No, the church is destroyed from inside, not outside. It's when we forsake the foundation that the church dies. Let me close verse 18. Don't deceive yourself. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone amongst you thinks he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. You need to examine yourself, and here are some steps that you need to examine yourself as I close. Here are some questions you need to ask yourself. First question is, are you in Christ? That's the first and most important question. Are you in Christ? Not are you following Christ Church Midrand. Not are you following some or other guru. No, are you in Christ? Not are you in yourself, your plans, your purpose, your agenda, your religion. No, are you in Christ? Second question is, are you growing as a Christian or are you still a baby? You're only drinking milk. You still need your food cut up into small pieces. Third question, what changes do I need to make today to start growing? Merely the elapse of time doesn't make you a mature Christian. You could have been saved 20 years ago, but you're still a baby because you never took meat. Perhaps you need to get that one-year Bible. Perhaps you need to join a life group. Perhaps you need to be regularly at God's Word, listening to Him and sitting under the authority of God's Word. Let's pray. Let's spend a few moments of quiet as we reflect on God's word. Father, all of us from time to time in one way or the other have been babies in Christ. Will you with the laser beam of your word and your spirit pierce the hardness of our hearts and expose it where we are babies. And Lord, will you help us to take action and take steps 
to change it and to grow. Amen.